Welcome to This Could Change Your Mind, the podcast where hot takes meet cold facts, exploring topics from feminism to fenders. Everyone in life must walk down a path, all of which culminate in making people who they are. In this episode, Danya Ali ventures backwards and speaks to women in her lineage who paved the way for her, and also how she will pave the way for future generations. My name is Danya, and I'm one of the Pakistani women in my family who have chosen a path that is commonly untaken. I grew up in a home where I was reminded constantly that nothing was unattainable. The concept of limitations was so foreign to me and my two sisters because, well, frankly, we grew up with parents who placed immense value in creativity, hard work, ambition, and most of all, independence. I was told I could be anything that I wanted, an astronaut, an artist, an engineer, an entrepreneur, and there's no boundary placed on anything but one notion. Whatever path you chose in life, one thing was fixed and certain. There was no compromise when it came to being authentic, truthful, and kind. I thought that this was how the world functioned for all humans, regardless of their gender. That was up until I had my first direct experience with the patriarchy. I quickly became accustomed to the patriarchal notions that are so deeply ingrained into the South Asian culture that I was born into. I was 13 years old, and we were having dinner at home with some family friends. We had known them for years now, but this dinner was a little different. It was the first time I was allowed to come sit at the adult table. I always thought that I was too mature for the kids my age and never fully resonated with them. I was also a nosy child at times and was more interested in knowing the almost forbidden information that was spoken about amongst the elders. So you can imagine how boastfully I sat down in the seat next to my mom, ready to contribute my big girl thoughts out loud for once. At first I noticed that it was the men who were arguing over politics and women who were listening but were slightly distracted, trying to make sure the kids were settled. Then, our family friend turned to me and said, So what are your plans for the future? I was 13, and so the only real plans I had were to go swimming with my friends the next day. In an effort to conceal my panic of not knowing what the right answer was, I said, I'm not sure what I want to do, but I do want to go to university somewhere outside of Qatar. Maybe Toronto? I saw his smile drop and his eyes lock into mine, sternly, as he leaned over and said, No. That's not what good girls in our family do. We don't let our daughters out of the country to study. I was always told to respect my elders, and that also meant not speaking back rudely. I tried to hold myself back, but even at 13, I knew I had to defend my future for men like that. So I did. That was also when I was first given the label of being too out there, too outspoken, and was constantly told that as a person who was just too sensitive about certain social ideas that I would never be taken seriously in any context. I'm now 22 years old, and these same labels persist. But that has never stopped me from continuing to fight people like that family friend who think it's okay to limit how far women can go. No one tells you, though, how tiring it can get to fight for a cause where you often feel like it's just you fighting. 
It can be a lonely place, but I've always had someone holding my hand, sitting next to me, my mom. Now I'm very relaxed now because you are in front of me. <laughs> the reason why I'm persistent with my intersectional feminism is because even that first time that I was labeled as being too much, it was my mom who sat next to me and reminded me that a life should be lived without any limits to your hopes and dreams. She fought back for me in that moment, and she's been fighting back her whole life, as her mother did for her. It's no coincidence that I am who I am today, as I am a byproduct of the brave, difficult, headstrong, and often lonely decisions that have been taken by the women who came before me. The first of these women, who I have joined on this path that is commonly untaken, who I want to introduce you to is my mom. In Pakistan, the girls are not treated... I grew up listening to my mom's ideas of the female identity and of integrity a lot. I was told to never sacrifice or compromise on who I was and wanted to be or how I saw the world. If you think you are doing the right thing, you are not doing anything wrong, you should be clinging with that. Do not change your ideas, your ideology, because always this is a learning, is a journey. But always go for the progress. My mom grew up in Lahore, Pakistan. She was one of eight siblings to be born into a large joint family. She had the same childhood as any other middle-class family living in the city. That was up until she unexpectedly experienced trauma at the age of 10. So... I always recall myself, so there is a big house where we were living with my mom and dad. Uh, it was quite big house and I remember the big, big rooms and everything. And always, I always remember his smiling face and giving money to me and sitting with me and eating like that. I have only just these memories in my mind uh, regarding my dad. But I can remember the some bitterness like when he died, I remember. Uh, I was only 10 years old. Actually, we all were living, We I have seven siblings. Uh, we were living in Lahore with my mom in a house and suddenly my dad died. I remember all the things when he died, how he died. And my mom was very upset at that time. She was crying, she was helpless, looking very helpless. And then I remember my- We've never really spoken mom, so about the role her dad played in her life. In fact, this was the first time she explained to me how his financial responsibilities meant that they didn't get much time to bond. I just remember the role of my dad in my life is not like I have seen in my children, their dad, you know. It was not no closeness. So I don't remember any interaction with me, with my dad. I always remember my mother. She had been standing and she was supporting me. She had told me growing up about some of the struggles that took place after her dad passed away, but we had never spoken about her individual hardships as one of the oldest daughters in the family. Because her dad was the main working member, once he passed, her family struggled financially. Whilst in the eighth grade, she started providing extra tuitions to bring in an income for her and her siblings. So I started earning very in a very young age also. And then I started teaching 15 children, 16. Like I, uh, I used to, when I started after my bachelor, my job, I used to come back and I used to give tuitions, many children in my house, full, full room. So I worked very hard in this way, you know. 
I'm not saying only me, the most, my elder sister, my brother, who is, uh, uh, who is older than only one year to me, and myself, three people, we were running the house. And, you know, so I, when I see, my mom said, I don't have money. So at my very young age, I started supporting her and I got very, can you imagine? I never counted the money with whatever I just earned. I just gave all together to my mom. And she was really surprised. She, I remember she used to ask me, you don't need anything. You don't need money. And I said, no. Why, what makes, what is making you feel really emotional? Because I just remember the days, you know, if I compare nowadays, the days I am blessed now, my mother had many difficulties, you know, she faced a lot of difficulties. His life, her life was very challenging for her. She had eight siblings without husband and she started earning and then we started, we had very tough life. It never occurred to me to see my mom as the human being that she was before she was my mom. I had never seen her cry when speaking about her life. Multiple studies that have been done about trauma suggest that those who have experienced it tend to have foggier memories of particular childhood events. As a survivor, I have been of no exception to this medical phenomena, and what I have learned through my experience is that one of the ways that you can regain your agency is through validation. I have been lucky enough to have found a support system that has helped with my healing, but my mom wasn't born with that privilege. The first woman that I got my own ideas of feminism from is my nani, my grandma. Ever since I could remember, she was a person who was quiet, a little stern, and generally kept to herself. As a child, I wasn't very close to her, and I would only see her on an occasional visit to Pakistan. So almost everything that I do know about her comes from those around her. But if, if I talk about who is the role model, so definitely my mom. You know, because I saw her changing. Like she was totally housewife. My dad never gave her importance like that. I just saw her cooking in the kitchen, doing household work. Uh, working for us, teaching us. She was the teacher for us, everything like this. When my dad died, I saw her more courageous, you know, because she went out, she started working, she was taking care of us. She was giving us what she could at that time. Growing up, I would see my mom's eyes soften and fill with admiration every single time that she speaks about how supportive, loving, independent, and firm that she is. I often have a difficult time being soft as... Women are usually expected to either be headstrong or emotionally driven. My nani has shown me that you can be both and more. She grew up in Allahabad, India, as one of four siblings. At the time, the British colonial rule was coming to an end in the region, but those who colonized the land left in such a hurry and never looked back at the mess that they made in the process. Amongst the other devastating effects that colonial rule had, one of the most harmful ones was creating divisions amongst people who came from different ethnic and religious backgrounds. To put it simply, eventually a bloody partition took place where the majority of Muslims decided that they needed to separate from the majority Hindu population in India. That is when Pakistan was created. The political rife between the two countries following this has had dire effects on populations in both regions. 
It was people like my nani, a Muslim woman who eventually moved to Pakistan, who had to face the brunt of this aftermath. She explains to me that still, things didn't seem as bad back then, when the new Islamic State was born, as they do now. Her father passed away when she was in her early teens. She says her mother then took on a similar role as she did when she first became a widowed single woman raising eight kids by herself. On the surface, it may seem as though my mom and my nani are women who speak very matter-of-factly about their trauma of losing their fathers at such a young age. I guess it seems that way to me, because I can't fathom the idea of losing a parent and then not having much time to grieve because you now have mouths to feed and school fees to fill out, all by yourself. Studies have shown that when a person is exposed to a traumatic event, they will often suppress the memory of it. It's our body's way of coping and surviving, as reliving it can make it difficult to actually, well, live. My nani is a person who has been dealt tough cards in life. There's no silver lining to the experience of losing a parent or a husband. But here she is, surviving and living. Any time that I feel I'm lost or alone in the decisions that I make as a woman, I often think of her and of my mom, and I'm not alone at all. You know, I had always fear of losing someone when I lost my dad. So I always got close to my mother because and I used to dream if something happened with my mother, where we will go. We did eight siblings, six, seven siblings. At that time, if my mother would be not educated, we will be not standing here, you know. And at that time, my mom always used to say, I brought up in these words, uh, my daughters should do the graduation. I went through very hard times, so I don't want them. I want them to be, you know, independent because I saw so many uh, hardship doing myself and my mother. So I wanted my two daughters to be independent, you know, in every, you know, era of life. My mom pursued a bachelor degree in psychology and journalism. She wanted to study further and get a master's as well, but her financial situation didn't support her at the time. Instead, my nani encouraged her to teach as she noticed that she really enjoyed it. My mom has now been teaching for over 20 years and is currently the principal at an all-girls private school in Qatar, which is not a position commonly given to immigrants, let alone women of color. She's taught me everything that my nani has taught her. It inspired me that she was like a woman because me personally, I don't think I've seen that many um women working in such a at like a higher ranking in the working environment and so it inspired me that she was and it showed me that it is possible just because like your gender doesn't fully define where like your potential that's one of my little sisters rahma she's 13 and normally doesn't speak to me because i'm just not that cool for her but upon asking her what is the biggest thing she admires about our mom, I realized that it was mine too. My nani tells me how important it was for her mother to push her to get a degree and an education. 
she says she wouldn't have been able to provide for her family as a single mother otherwise and that's why she in turn pushed her daughters to do the same in case they also had to face bad times but it wasn't easy for either of them to get their degrees, living in a culture where sons were valued more than daughters. My nani explains that males in the family were given more importance than the females, which also affected the level of education they got. So everyone I saw appreciating these boys and this thing was developing me in my heart, you know, why boys, why boys, you know, why not us? But I saw a lot of attention has been given to them if we compare but my mom i saw her she although she had only two boys and six girls but she never gave a lot of attention to boys she always treated us equally in my house my my mother always i i my always told my brothers that you have to work equally as your sisters are doing there was nothing like that but this is in our culture, yes, this is. If these things started developing in me, then then I started to prove myself that although in this, uh, you know, very uh, limited resources, what can I do? We've spoken at length about misogyny and how it functions in Pakistani culture, but she's never told me about this hatred that she developed for men. It's like, not hatred, but I never, I, I, I never impressed by male gender, you know, never. I also have an internalized disinterest in the real gender, which started to develop very quickly into my early teen years. Some of it came from the toxic masculinity I constantly saw growing up, but most of it comes from fear. I now understand why my mom is so comfortable with calling out the toxicity in a society where it's not encouraged to do so, because she's been doing it for so long. I was pregnant and I was extremely happy. That was very different, you know, emotions which you cannot put in words, you know. It was entirely different. I had uh, 10 hours labor, very long labor. And then it is, this is a fact, you know, I, I went to God and I came back. It was like that, very difficult delivery. So, Alhamdulillah, when I delivered my all attention, you know, around Tahir's and mine, my daughter and uh, it was cannot you know cannot express my feeling in words it was totally different then we started whenever we talk we never talk about ourselves we talk about our daughter you know and uh, was my mom's happy. telling me about how she felt when she found out she was pregnant with me she birthed two more daughters one shortly after and another nine years later one question that I always thought of but never asked her was if she felt like she missed out on not having a son. Not because she ever wished for her one or the other, but because I know she had been told previously that it was unfortunate that she didn't have one. This is the first time that I actually asked her about it, and the answer I got took me by surprise. 
I never even pray to God because I know in our tradition, if someone got pregnant, they have this, oh, uh, give me son, give me son, pray. I always say, what is better meant for me? Just Allah give me. Okay. I never say boys and girls. And from inside, there is something that I loved girls. I loved girls like so. That's why I always when I think and sit down that that's why Allah gave me girls. Because maybe I would be not a good mother if I had a boy. After much reflection, I asked all the women in my life what the best piece of advice was that their mother gave them or that they would give to their daughters. I'm telling you, it's very important to not to change yourself. Whatever you are, I am. Okay. If something happened in front of me wrong, I will say this is wrong. I will not stop myself. Although I know there are 10 people who will say, no, it is not like this. It is not like this. They will impose the things, but I will not listen. Maybe, maybe when they are... The importance of education, of kindness, of hard work and perseverance has always been emphasized by my mom. But the one thing I had forgotten about was the ability to stand up for yourself, even if no one else will. Even when I will advise the, the girls who are new girls who are getting married, sometime in our Pakistani culture, they, they impose the things, you know. They said, whatever we doing, you have to do that. You are not allowed to do this. You are not allowed to do this. And, but it's very hard to convince the people according to your ideology. Sometime I just quit and I kept quiet because I did not want to waste my energy on people who really doesn't want to change. My nani tells me something that I too have heard growing up. She says that her mother gave her the advice of compromising where you can, in a marriage or elsewhere, and where you can't, to just leave and come back home. Their advice has always been of great importance to me, but I had not considered how important it was to listen to someone younger who lives in a world where the patriarchy still affects them to a different degree. Having sisters was, or for me at least, having sisters is what formed my ideas on feminism and a lot of things. And I think by having sisters, it gave me more of an advantage to be more open-minded. We weren't very close growing up because of the nine-year age gap between us, but Rahma has always been someone who, in her true Leo form, has firmly stood her ground on any matter. I've seen this in her as early as when she was five years old, and she declared that she was only going to take her pink Tinkerbell back to school or was plainly not going to go. And I've also seen it in her now as we've grown closer in the way that she persistently defies anyone who says something that doesn't sit well with her. Because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to go home. So for the past almost two years, I have only virtually gotten to know her over the phone. But it has been nothing short of a privilege to see the young woman that she has become. I may be a little biased, but she truly is one of the only 13-year-olds I know who has the ability to understand the importance of sisterhood as a core feminist value. In our conversation, I asked her to tell me one thing that we could be doing differently in how we live within the Pakistani culture. The answer went well beyond her gears and is the same one I would say today. Um, I think phrases like boys will be boys are just ridiculous. It's normalizing boys' behaviors. And instead of saying, 
boys will be boys. We can teach them that how to just be normal and respectful people. Because I think a lot of behave a lot of like behavior of men is just disregarded because they are males. And I think it's just so wrong because it gives them a sense of entitlement that they have a right to whatever they want, regardless of the situation. Like it's just enabling for them to do whatever they want and not be held accountable for their actions. And I think as like society needs to hold them accountable. If I'm being honest, I don't really know what I was expecting to find when I started these conversations with the most strong and independent women in my family. I didn't expect to find so many parallels between the thoughts and ideologies that have been passed down from one generation to another. I didn't expect to find healing. I didn't expect to feel hopeful about the future, especially now, where it seems like there's a new way that the patriarchy rears its ugly head every day. But most of all, I didn't expect to find the path untaken that I've chosen to go on, to have been mapped out and designed even before I was born. Something as simple as a conversation reminded me that as humans, we hold on to hope for change for a reason. I now stand on this path, commonly untaken, where my mom and my nani have walked, and I do what they did. I look forward and continue to fight, because I know that it'll be my sister who comes in after me, and I want this road to be full of hope and opportunity. That was Daniel Ali's path. Join us in the next episode where we'll discuss guitarists in a pandemic lifestyle. <laughs>